I think through the open source model, you, you can do things a bit a bit differently. We've, we have kind of like the inspiration of open source for infrastructure and database, you know, like with companies like, you know, Elastic, MongoDB, that have shown that, you know, you can, as a startup, empower the community in a way and, and create like a thousand times more value than you would by building a proprietary tool, right? You're listening to Gradient Descent, a show about machine learning in the real world. And I'm your host, Lucas Bewald. Clem DeLong is CEO and co-founder of Hugging Face, the maker of Hugging Face Transformers Library, which is one of the most, maybe the most exciting libraries in machine learning right now. In making this library, he's had front row seats to all the advances in NLP over the last few years, which has been truly extraordinary. And I'm super excited to learn from him about that. All right, so my first question is, is probably a silly question because almost anyone um, watching this or listening to this would, would know this, but what is Hugging Face? So we started Hugging Face uh, a bit more than four and a half years ago because we've been obsessed with natural language processing. So the field of, of machine learning that applies to text. And we've been lucky to create Hugging Face uh, Transformers on GitHub that became the most popular open source NLP library that over 5,000 companies are using now to do any sort of NLP, right? From information extraction, right? You have a text, you want to extract information. So a platform like Chegg, for example, for homework is, is using that to extract information from homeworks. And you can do text classification. So we have companies like Monzo, for example, that is using us to do customer support emails classification. They receive a customer support email. Does it uh, like relate to which product team, for example, is that urgent, not urgent to many other NLP tasks like text generation for autocomplete yeah, or, or, or really kind of like uh, any single NLP task that you, that's task that you can think of. And we've been lucky yeah, to see uh, adoption, not only from companies, but also from scientists which have been using our platform to, you know, share their models with, with the world, test models of other scientists. We have almost 10,000 models that have been shared and almost uh, a thousand data sets that have been shared on the platform to kind of like help scientists and practitioners build better NLP models and use that in their product or in their workflows. And so... Hugging Face Transformers is the library that's that's super well known, right? And then the the platform is a place where you can go to use other people's models and, and publish your own models. Is that do I have that right? Yeah, exactly. We've like a hybrid approach to building building technology. We feel like we you need kind of like the extensibility of, of open source and, and practicality of for example user interfaces, right? So we cover really kind of like the full range, meaning that if you're a company, you can do everything yourself from our open source, not talk to us, not even go to huggingface.co, do everything from, you know, pip install transformers, right? If you want a bit more help, you know, you can use our hub to discover a new model, find a model that works for you, understand these models. To even in a more extreme way, if you're like a software engineer uh, or if you're new to NLP uh, or even new to machine learning, 
you can use our training and inference APIs to, to, to train and run models. And we're going to host this inference and, and this training for you to make it very, very simple so that you don't have to become an NLP expert to take advantage of the latest state of the art NLP models. That's so cool. I mean, I want to zoom in on Hugging Face Transformers first, because it's, it's maybe it might feels like it might be one of the most popular machine learning libraries of all time. I'm kind of curious what you attribute to that success. Like when did you start it and what were you thinking? And, you know, what did you learn along the way? Yeah, I mean, it might be, I don't know if it's the biggest machine learning open source. It's definitely the fastest growing because it's fairly new. We released the first version of it two and a half years ago, which is not a long time ago in the grand scheme of open source, right? Yeah, if, for sure. if you look at all the kind of like most popular open source, you see that they usually need a very long time of, of maturation, right? So the grand scheme of open source transformers is, is very much still, still a baby, but it, it grew really, really fast. It really blew up with over 42,000 GitHub stars, over a million PIP installs a month. I think we have 800 contributors to Transformers. And, and the main reason why I think it's, it's successful is to me because it really bridges the gap between science and production, which is something, something fairly, fairly new and, and that not a lot of open source and not a lot of companies manage to do. I strongly believe that machine learning compared to, you know, you can call it like software engineering 1.0 or, you know, software engineering or com computer science, even co if computer science has science in the, in the name of it, it's not a science driven topic. Right. If, if you look at the, you know, good software engineers, they don't really read research papers. They don't really follow the science of, of computer science. Machine learning is, is very different. It's a science driven domain. Right. It all starts from a couple of dozen key cast kind of like NLP science teams all over the world that are creating new models like, you know, BERT. T5, you know, Roberta, all, all these new models that you've heard from. And I think what we managed to do with Transformers is to, you know, give these researchers a tool that they like mm -hmm. to share their models, to test models of, of others, to go deep into kind of like the internals of the architecture of, of these models, but at the same time, create an easy enough abstraction so that any NLP practitioner can literally use these models just a few hours after they've been released by, by the researchers, right? And so we created that there's, there's some sort of like a magic, some sort of like a, a network effect or some sort of magic when, when you bridge the two. We, we don't understand all, all the mechanics of it yet, but yeah, there's some sort of a, a network effect for it. Each time there's a new model released, you know, like the researcher is releasing it within, within Transformers. People are hearing about it. They're talking about it. They want to use it. They test it on Transformers. They put it in production. It works. So they want to support it more. The scientist is happy that his research is, is seen, is used, is impactful. And so they want to create more and they want to share more. So there's, yeah, this, this kind of like virtuous cycle that I think allows, allowed us to grow yeah, much, much faster than, than traditional open source. And that kind of like struck a chord on, on the market and on the field of, of machine learning. 
Yeah, I guess as an entrepreneur, I'm always kind of fascinated by how these virtuous cycles, you know, get started. Like when you go back two and a half years ago, when you're just first starting the Transformers project, like what was the problem you were trying to solve and what inspired you to even make an open source library like this? Um, I, I could probably give you kind of like a smart, uh, thoughtful. No, answer. no, I want the real is answer. <laughs> yeah, give me, uh, tell the, me what's the, actually the real, the real truth is that we, we didn't think much about it. You know, we've we've been using open source for for a while. We've always felt like in this field, you're always standing on on the shoulders of of giants of of other people built on the field before. We've been used to this culture of you know when you do science, you you publish a research paper, and and you know for research in machine learning, you even want publish, you know, open source rather than, than, than the paper, right? And and so since day one at, at Hugging Face, you know, we've always done a lot of things like in the open, sharing in open source. And and here for, for Transformers, it, it started really, really simply uh, with BERT mm-hmm. that was released in TensorFlow. And Thomas, I, I was a co-founder and, and, and chief scientist, was like, oh, it's, it's in TensorFlow. We need it in in PyTorch, right? So I think two two days after BERT was was released, we open sourced PyTorch BERT, mm-hmm. and and that was like literally the first first name of the repository, and it and it blew up. People started using it like uh, like like crazy. And then a few weeks few weeks after, I I don't remember what model was was released. I I want to say Roberta, but no, Roberta was was much much later. But another model was was released. Maybe it was GPT actually. I think it was GP, the first GPT uh-huh. was released. And I think same thing. It was it was probably just in, in TensorFlow, and we're like, okay, let's let's add it. And you know, we felt like, all right, let's let's make it so that you know it's easier for for people to try both. You know, because they, they have different capabilities, good at different things. So we started thinking about, you know, what kind of abstraction we, we should build to, to make it easier. And, and very much like that, you know, it, it went organically. And, and, and at some point, you know, like uh, researchers were like, you know, I'm, I'm going to release a new model. Can I release it within transformers? And we say, okay, yeah, just do that. <laughs> and they did that. And, and, you know, kind of like a, like a snowball, it, it, it became bigger and bigger and, and, and brought us to, to, where we are now. That's a really cool story. I, I didn't realize that you were trying to port models from TensorFlow to to PyTorch. I mean, now you're you work with both TensorFlow and PyTorch, right? Yeah. Do you do you feel did you feel at the time I guess a preference for PyTorch or what, why was it important to you two and a half years ago to move something to PyTorch? I think the user base was was different, right? So we've we've always been like passionate about you know democratization or like, you know, making something like a bit obscure, a bit niche, making it like available to, to more people. We feel like that's how you get the real power of, of technology is, is when you take something that is in the hands of just a few, a happy few, uh, and you make it like available for, for more people. So that, that was, you know, mainly a goal, you know, there was, there are like 10 people who are, uh, 
using TensorFlow, there are people that are using who are using PyTorch. We wanted to make it available to uh, people using PyTorch. We were using PyTorch ourselves uh, extensively. We think it's like a, an amazing framework. So yeah, we were happy to make it make it more available. And what, the funny thing is that as as we got more and more popular, at, at some point we've seen the other movement in the sense that people were saying at some point we were actually named PyTorch Transformers and we started having a lot of people working on TensorFlow. It was like, guys, like it's so it's so unfair. Why why can I just use you know transformers if if I'm if I'm using PyTorch? And so that that's when we extended to TensorFlow and dropped the PyTorch transformers, dropped the PyTorch in, in the name and, and became became transformers to support both. And, and it's been super interesting because if you, if you look at our integration of PyTorch and TensorFlow, it's more comprehensive. It's it's more complete than just, you know, having half of it that is PyTorch and half of it that is TensorFlow. You can actually kind of like on the same workflow in a way on your same kind of like machine learning workflow you can do part of it in in pytorch so for example when you want to do more like the architecture side of it pytorch is is really, really strong but when you want to do kind of like you know serving tensorflow is integrated with a lot of tools that is that is heavily used in in the industry so in the same workflow you can start building your model in 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 pytorch and then then use it in in tensorflow within the library which we think is, is pretty cool because it allows you to take advantage a little bit uh, of the strengths and, and weaknesses of, of both frameworks. And so do you get a chance to use your own software anymore? Like, do you do, do you Hugging Face build applications ever at this point? Or are you just making these kind of tools for other people? Yeah, we, we play with them a lot. You know, I think when, when uh, our, of our most uh, popular demo ever was something called Write with Transformers which was some sort of kind of like text editor powered by some, some of the popular models of, of transformers that, that got, I think, I think something over a thousand books, the equivalent of a thousand books have, have been like uh, written with it. It's some sort of like what you have in your Gmail to complete, but except much more silly and, and creative. So it, it works really well when you're have kind of like the syndrome of the, the can you say that in English syndrome of the white white page when when you don't know what to oh what yeah to yeah I don't think we say it like that but I understand yeah. the experience yeah, in French we say uh, syndrome de la feuille blanche when when you like uh, you want to write but you don't know what to write uh, about it's helping you like being being more creative uh-huh. by suggesting kind of like uh, long interesting text to it that's really cool. So I wanted to ask you, I feel like you have a really interesting lens on all the different architectures for NLP. Like, I guess, do you, are you able to know kind of what the most popular architectures are? And have you seen change in that over the last two and a half years? Yeah. Yeah, we do. You can see kind of like the down download kind of like volumes of, of models. So it's super interesting to see, especially when new models are coming up to see if they're successful or not, how, how many kind of like people, people using, using something that's been super interesting to us is that actually the number one downloaded model on, on the hub is a uh, distilled bird, right? Mm-hmm. So like a model that we distilled from, from birds, but there's also a lot, a lot of variety in terms of uh, usage of, of models. 
especially as I, I felt like over over the years they they became in a way a bit more specialized, right? Even if they're still kind of like a, a general you know pre-trained language models, I feel like more and more as you know each new model came with some sort of an optimization that made him made it like perform better either on you know short or longer longer text on you know generation tasks versus you know classification tasks multi-language versus like mono mono language you start to see more and more diversity based on what people want to do with it and and what kind of strengths and weakness do they value the most, right? A little bit like what I was talking about between, you know, PyTorch and and TensorFlow. People are trying to, you know, not so much decide like which model is the best, which which is kind of uh, silly in my my opinion, but which model is the best for for which task, for which context, and then pick the right tool for, for the task. I guess for someone listening to this who doesn't have an NLP background, could you explain what what Bird is and just what it does, and maybe how Distilbert differs from that? Yeah, so the whole kind of like evolution in NLP started with a seminal paper called "Attention is All You Need," right? Uh, which was introducing this new architecture for NLP models based on transfer learning. And and BERT was the first kind of like most popular uh, of these new generation of, of models. And the way they work is in a simplistic way uh, without, you know, getting, getting too technical is that you uh, pre-train a model on a large of text on one specific task. So for BERT, for example, it's it's mask filling. You give it sentences, you remove a word in the mid, in middle of the sentence, for example, and then you train the model on predicting this uh, missing word, right? Mm-hmm. And then you do that on a very large corpus of, of text, usually, you know, a slice of the of the web, mm-hmm. right? And then you get, you get a model, a pre-trained model that has some kind of like understanding of, of text uh, that you can then uh, fine-tune, mm-hmm. hence, you know, the name tra- transfer learning, because you can go from one, one kind of like pre-training task to other fine-tuning tasks. You can fine-tune this model, for example, on, on classification, right? Mm-hmm. By giving it like a couple of thousands of examples of a text and classification uh, for customer support emails that I was talking about, classification urgent and not urgent. Mm-hmm. Right, and after that, the model is is surprisingly good at uh, classifying uh, a new text that you give it based on urgency, and it's going to tell you, okay, this message there is like ninety percent chance it's it's urgent based on what I've learned in the pre-training and and in the fine fine tuning. And so, like for example, with Bert, I guess you know you have a model that that can fill in, you know, missing words. How do you actually turn that into a model that say classifies customer support messages? Yeah, with, with fine tuning, you fine tune kind of like, uh, like adding a layer, you know, you, you fine tune this model to, to perform on your, on your specific task. And that's kind of like, um, in a more kind of like a long-term way. I think that's, that's a very interesting way of, of, of doing machine learning because intuitively you almost feel like it's the right way to do machine learning uh, in the sense that 
what we've seen in the past with, with machine learning and especially for startups, uh, a lot of them have kind of like sold this dream of doing machine learning and, and doing some sort of like a data network effect on, on machine learning, right? Because there's this assumption that you're going to give more data to the model and, and it's going to perform better. And, and I think that's true, but the challenge has always been that you have more data and so your model performs incrementally better, but only on what you're able to do already, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So if you're doing, I don't know, time, time series prediction, maybe you have like 1 billion data points, right? And, and your model performs at 90% accuracy. You, you add like maybe 9, 9 billion, 10 billion additional data points and your model is going to perform at, you know, 90.5% accuracy, right? And, and that's great. I mean, that, that's good improvement. That's something you need, but, but it doesn't give the kind of, you know, increased performance that you're really expecting from a typical network effect in, in the sense that it doesn't make your result like 100x, 10x, 100x better than, than, than without it. With transfer learning, it's a bit different because you not only kind of like improve incrementally the accuracy on one task, you give it more ability to solve other tasks. And so you actually not only increase the accuracy, but you increase the capabilities of, of what your model is, is able to do. And so I, I, won't, I won't go into kind of like the crazy Musk type kind of like prediction, but if you take actually Elon Musk kind of like open AI founding kind of like uh, story where he's saying like, you know, we need to bring the whole community together to contribute to something open source for, for everyone. Intuitively, you could think that could come with actually transfer learning in the sense that you could envision a world where every single company is contributing with their know, data sets with their compute, with their weights, the, the machine learning model weights to, you know, build these giant kind of like uh, open source models that would be able to do, you know, 100x more things than, you know, what each of these companies could, could do alone. I, I don't know if we're going to get there in the foreseeable future, but I, I feel like that's in terms of concepts, that's something interesting to look at when, when you think about transfer learning as opposed to the other techniques of, of machine learning. I guess, did you have a feeling about OpenAI not releasing the weights for the, the early GPT models, or I guess any of the GPT models? Yeah, so G GPT, GPT2, I think they had the yeah, version in, in between were, were open source, right? And it's in Transformers and we have a lot of companies using them. There are probably more, more companies using like GPT-2 through Transformers and then GPT-3 today. You know, they're, they're private, private companies. So I, I, you know, totally respect their, their strategy, not to open source a model that they that they built. I think they've done an amazing job with, with GPT-3. It's, it's a great model uh, for everything when you want to do text generation. It's it's really useful. I'm really thankful for you know all the work they've done 
democratizing the capabilities of NLP, you know, like uh, as our goal is to democratize NLP, I feel like what they've done promoting it into more like of the startup community in, in a way, a lot of people realized with, with their communication that, you know, you could do so much more than what we've been doing so far with, with NLP, which is great. I think it, it participated to the development of the, of the ecosystem. And, and putting it, putting kind of like uh, NLP in the yeah in in the kind of like uh, spotlights, which which has been has been really great. And we see a lot of companies, you know, like starting to use GPT three. And then obviously it's it's expensive. It's not really extensible. You can't really like uh, update it for your own use case. And you know it's it's hard to build some sort of technological competitive advantage when you build on top of of an API, proprietary API from someone else. So we see a lot of companies, you know, using GPT-3 and then discover NLP and then, then coming, coming to our tools. And the same, same way happens, I'm sure it's the other way around, you know, some people start with our tools, our open source, and then they, they decide to kind of like use something a bit more off the shelf, like GPT-3 or like, you know, Google NLP services or AWS Comprehend, providing an API for, for NLP has been, has, has been around from, from these companies too. So I think everyone is is part of the same ecosystem that is that is growing. So that's that's super exciting. Do you feel like there's a difference in the GPT approach versus the BERT approach that you were talking about? I mean, GPT has been very high profile, and the text generation is is really impressive. Do you feel like OpenAI is doing something kind of fundamentally different there? Yeah. So the so there are both, you know transformer models, right? They, they kind of like same, same, same technique with slightly different architectures, right? So if, for example, you know, when BERT is doing mask failing, GPT is, is doing language modeling. So a next word prediction. So it's a bit different. That's, that's why the, you know, text generation capabilities are, are so much uh, stronger. It has its limitations too. Like for example, if you want to do classification, you shouldn't do it with GPT, you know, like it, it doesn't make sense at all. So yeah, they solve, they solve different, uh, different use cases with kind of like a slight uh, variations of, of the architecture. We've had um, people started uh, reproducing uh, GPT. I mean, we've had GPT two with an, a team called Elusur. I, I don't really know how, how to pr pronounce it. But I released GPT Neo a few days ago, which which has the same architecture as uh, GPT three, just with less weights for the moment. But they intend to kind of like grow grow the weights. I think their yeah, I think their their the size of their model is the equivalent of the smaller GPT three that OpenAI is providing through an API today, and it, it works well. It's it's interesting, uh, yeah, to see the power of the of the open source uh, community. I think one, one of my fundamental conviction is that on a field like NLP or, or machine learning in, in general, the worst position to be in is to compete with the whole science and open source field. Sure. Just because I've, I've been in this position before, actually the first startup I worked for, we were doing machine learning for, for computer vision. Uh -huh. uh, back back in Paris, in French, obviously, as you can hear from my <laughs> from my accent. But so competing against the science field and the open source field on such a fast moving topic is a is a difficult position to 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 be in because I mm -hmm. think uh, you have you know hundreds of, of research labs at, at larger organizations or like at universities that are not not so much kind of like 
potentially, you know, each one better than what you can do at, at the startup. But just there are so many of them that, you know, when you can do just one one iteration, you have hundreds of like out there doing one iteration too. So like you, you can, you know, outpace them and, and, you know, like beat the state of the art for a few days. But then someone who started just a few few days after you is, is catching up and and then you, you, you're not kind of like ahead anymore. So yeah, we've, we've taken a very, very different approach by instead of, you know, trying to compete, I think with, with, with open source and, and with the science field, we're trying more to empower it in a way. And I think through the open source model, you, you can do things a bit, a bit differently. We've, we've kind of like the inspiration of open source for infrastructure and database, you know, like we've companies like, you know, Elastic, MongoDB that have shown that, you know, you can as a startup empower the community in a way and, and create like a thousand times more value than you would by building a proprietary tool, right? Mm-hmm. And that you don't have to capture 100% of, of the value that, that you create, right? That, that you can be okay creating like an immense value and just capturing, you know, one, one person of it to monetize to make you, you know, company sustainable. And that, that can still kind of like make a, make a large public company, like in the case of, of MongoDB for that both has kind of like this open source core, but at the same time can, can grow an organization and, and be sustainable. And I don't see why it should be different for, for machine learning. We haven't seen a lot of large open source machine learning companies yet. For me, it's, it's more a matter of how early the technology is just, we, it's, it's, too early to have large open source machine learning companies because I mean, five years ago, nobody was using machine learning, but, but it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna come. I think I wouldn't be surprised in like in five, 10 years, you, you, you'd have kind of like a one, two, three, four, five, ten 10 massive open source machine learning companies. I guess, you know, you've had really front row seats to like the cutting edge of NLP over the last couple of years. Do you feel like the applications have changed with these models getting more powerful and useful? Like, are there things you see people doing now that you wouldn't have seen people doing three years ago? Yeah, honestly, I think out out of the 5,000 companies uh, that are using transformers, I mean, the vast, vast majority of it, I mean, it's it's hard to tell, but we, we see a lot of them that are using transformers in production. And, and I would say that, you know, most of them, weren't using NLP in production, you know, five, five years ago, Mm. right? So a lot of these are new use cases that either weren't possible before. So the companies were just just not doing it or really were performed by humans, right? Mm. You know, moderation, for example, is, is a good example of that. Customer support classification, as, as I was saying, you know, it's, it's replacing kind of like a very manual process. You know, autocomplete, you know, is, is, is really, really big in Gmail. It's, it's been like my biggest productivity announcement. I, I feel like in, in the past few months is, is using Gmail autocomplete to basically write just half of my emails. Now, most of the, you know, search engine are mostly powered by, by NLP and by transformer models. Mm-hmm. You know, Google now is saying that most of their, you know, queries are, are powered by, by transformers. So I, arguably it's like the most popular uh, consumer products out there. So yeah, I think it's, it changed, it's changing like uh, so many 
products, the w- the way products are built. I'm really interesting, and, and that's that's why also like uh, you know seeing GPT three kind of like promoting NLP into the startup world is super interesting because I think it's very game changer when you have companies starting building products from scratch, leveraging NLP. Right. Because I think you build you build like differently, right? When when you start kind of like building a legal, you know, you can think of basically every every company today, and it's really fun to think, what if this company started today with today's NLP capabilities, mm-hmm. and and you see that yeah, you have so many ideas for them to do things differently, and you take like you know DocuSign, right? What what if DocuSign with kind of like analysis of, of documents started today with 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 NLP? You think Twitter, you know, wait, what, wait. What tell me about DocuSign. Cause I, what I do with DocuSign is I get like a message and then I click sign and then I sign the thing. So what would be different about DocuSign if it was started with like all the technology available today? I don't know. It would, it would give you like so much like analysis of the, there, there would be a too long didn't read. <laughs> for the, for the contract, Just for the contract, you know, uh-huh. like so instead of having to read you know, five different pages, five, five, five page long, like a document, you would have like an automatically generated summary uh-huh. of, of the document. I see. It I see. would highlight in, in green or, or, or red, the interesting part in the documents, you know, mm-hmm. like when you see, oh, there's a big kind of like money, money shot, that's, <laughs> that's where they define, you know, how much money you're going to make. Yeah, right. Big, big, uh, big green, green flashing, flashing light. <laughs> Be careful about or or when, when there's a small, you know, like a a small star, that says, everything that we wrote before is completely not not kind of like it doesn't work in that case. You know, like the small kind of like conditions. You would uh-huh. put like a big, big, you know, red <laughs> flashing light. Be careful. Here is they're trying to they're trying to screw you here. Um, you know, things, it. things like that. Okay, like okay, that. Let's, that was so fun. What are? Tell me about Twitter started <laughs> with this technology available. So what? What could could Twitter do? So first, first it would do the feed, completely, completely different, right? It, it would not show you tweets because they're popular or tweets because they're you know i mean not not popular i would say controversial but but it it would show you tweets that you know you would relate to you know Mm. tweets that you would be interested in based based on you know what what you um tweeted before Mm -hmm. Um, hopefully it would be able to you know moderate things a bit bit better you know avoid more biases avoid more kind of like you know violence inappropriate you know racism and kind of like bad kind of like behaviors like that what else could it be i I would would have wanted uh obviously an edit button but i don't know if nrp would would help with that a what button no, and like you know, like this like famous thing that for for kind of like ages, everyone asked for, everyone has been has been asking for like a edit button on. Oh, on edit a... button! Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> but it wouldn't be NLP powered. But but still, if they started today, I, I would add that. What else? Do do you have any any idea of what they would do differently with with NLP today? Well, honestly, I don't know how you feel about this, but. 
you know, when I look at the text generation technology, the NLP technology, I mean, that was the field I actually started in, you know, 15 years ago or more. And I, I, I almost feel like the thing that's intriguing is the lack of applications for how amazing the technology seems to me. Like, I, I feel like, you know, I remember the Turing test was this thing of like, if you could, you know, converse with the, you know, I forget exactly the framing, but it's like converse with the computer for like 10 minutes and you can't tell if it's a human, you know, maybe we have like AGI at that point. And it seems like that seems so impossible. And now it seems like, you know, we're going to, seems like we'll pass it sometime soon. I mean, there's variants of it, but it, it, I feel like, I feel more and more like it's probably computers could trick me into thinking that I'm talking to a person, you know, with just, you know, GPT-3 or another text generation model. But I actually feel like I don't engage with totally new NLP applications yet. And I, I kind of wonder why that is. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't agree with you. I, I think the usage, is, usage of it is really like everywhere right now. I mean, I, I yeah, I, there are not a lot of products that don't start to use some, some NLP, right? Maybe it's just more it's, subtle than I would Yeah. Think. Yeah, maybe it's less, it's less in your face in the sense that it hasn't been this big kind of like conversational AI interfaces that, that took over in a way, right? For, for a very long time, it was kind of like almost a popular and kind of like mainstream face in a way of, of NLP, right? People think NLP for, you know, Siri, Alexa, in a, in right. a way. And that's true that we haven't seen that picking up, right? Chatbots ha haven't, you know, proved to be very, very good yet. And, and we're not there yet in, in the capabilities in really kind of like solving real problems. Mm -hmm. But I think it's became adopted in, in a yeah, way more subtle way, in, in a way more kind of like incremental way compared to the existing use cases. You're probably using Google every day, and that's true that maybe you don't see much of the difference between the search results before and now. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that, you know, it's the most mainstream, most used product of all time that most of the people are using every day, and it's powered by modern NLP. It's powered yeah. by, by Transformer. But it's not, yeah, it's not as kind of like, yeah, maybe a word is, is yeah, groundbreaking in terms of like experience changes. As, as you could have expected, right? I think one of the challenges of NLP is that because language has been so much of a human topic for, mm -hmm. for so long, in a way, it, it carries all this kind of like association with AI, right? Mm -hmm. and, and kind of like AGI and, and, and kind of like almost like this, this machine intelligence. And obviously if you look at, you know, all the sci-fi with her, you know, you associate that a little bit with NLP and that's kind of like what you could have expected from, from NLP. And the reality has been more kind of like productivity improvements behind the scene that, that you don't really feel or see that much as, as, as a user. It's true. Are you optimistic about chat interfaces? I am. I think what most of us uh, got wrong. And, and I mean, we're, we, we started by building an AI friend or like a fun conversational AI with, with Hugging Face. When, when we started Hugging Face, as I was saying, we were obsessed with NLP and we were like, okay, what's the most challenging problem today? 
open domain conversational AI, building this kind of like AI that can chat about everything about the large sports game, about, you know, your last kind of like a relationship and really talk about everything. And we're like, okay, that's the most difficult thing. We, we're going to do that. And it di didn't work out. So I think what we got wrong and, and what most people are getting wrong is, is probably like the, the timing hmm. in a way, in the sense that conversation and, and especially like open domain conversation, the way we're doing it now is extremely hard. It's almost kind of like the ultimate uh, NLP task because you need to be able to do so many NLP tasks together. At the same time, ranking them, you know, I need to be able, when you're talking to me, to extract information, to understand, classify your intent, classify the meaning of your sentence, understand the emotion of it, right? If your tone is changing, then, you know, it means different things. So I think we're going to get to better conversational AI ultimately. I don't know if it's in, you know, five years, if it's in, in 10 years, if, if it's longer, but I, I think we're going to get there. It's already solving some kind of like more vertical problems with uh, sometimes customer support chatbots. You know, mm -hmm. I think Raza in the open source community is, is doing a really great job with, with that. So I think, uh, yeah, we, we won't get tomorrow to the AI who you can chat with about everything kind of like where we started hugging face with mm -hmm. but ultimately i think we'll we'll get there and that's that's when you know in terms of like user experience it's it's going to you you're gonna realize it's 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 different at, at that at that time but it's probably going to take uh, much more time than what we are expecting cool well you know we always end with two questions so i'd love to get those in in the last couple of minutes we have we always ask what's an underrated topic in machine learning or maybe in your case what's an underrated topic in, in nlp like something that you might work on if you didn't have a day job that's a good question i mean something that i've been super excited about in the past few weeks is the field of speech mm -hmm. um, so like uh, speech to text uh, text to speech because I feel like it's it's been kind of like a, a little bit like a NLP like a few years ago. It's been kind of like a relegated as as some sort of kind of like a little bit boring field with not so many like people working in it. And I feel like thanks to a couple of like uh, research teams, especially the team of Alexi Kono at at Fair with Wave to Vec, you're starting to see new advances uh, actually leveraging transformer models. That are bringing kind of like new new capabilities. So I'm I'm pretty excited about it. I think there's going to be uh, some sort of a resurgence of it and and kind of like a leapfrog in terms of quality, not only in English, but what's interesting is that it's also in other languages. We hosted a few weeks ago a community sprint at Hugging Face with over 300 participants who contributed models speech to text for almost a hundred low resource languages. And, and so it's, it's been pretty cool to see like the response of the community. So I think there's going to be a uh, cool things happening in the coming months in uh, speech, mm -hmm. which uh, is going to unlock like uh, new use cases, because if you think that you can combine, you know, speech with NLP, you, you can start to do really cool stuff. We were talking about what if like the product is built today, you know, if Zoom was was built today with like good speech to text and NLP. You could do pretty cool stuff too, you know. When I'm I'm seeing something something like cheery, it should be like automatic clapping, you know, because otherwise we've everyone kind of like muting. That's the problem with the current zooms is that we've everyone like uh, muted. 
-hmm. when I say something to cheer, like I'm the only one cheering. Mm. Um, or, you know, when you say, uh, hurrah, there should be kind of like emoji showers of like celebratory emojis or things like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited for, for speech. If you haven't checked the field lately, you should, should definitely check it. There are cool things happening. Very cool. And the, the final question, and I feel like you're in a unique place to see this is, you know, what's the hardest part or what's some unexpected challenges and just getting a model from kind of thinking about it to deploy it into production. And I guess you have a unique point of view here where you actually, you have a platform that makes this super easy. Are there still challenges when, when folks use your stuff? Is there more to do or does it work out of the box? There are still a lot of, you know, human challenges to it, I think, in, in the sense that, you know, machine learning model is, is doing different things in a different way than, you know, traditional software engineering. And for a lot of companies, it's really, really hard to make, to make the transition. For example, the lack of, you know, explainability, the fact that it's harder to, you know, predict the outcomes of, mm. of these models and, and kind of like tweak them in a way is, is still really hard to, you know, understand and adopt for people who've like spent a career in, you know, software engineering, when you can really kind of like define the outcome that, that you want, that you want to get. So I think what, from what I'm seeing a, a lot of the time, like the human and kind of like understanding of machine learning part is the, the most difficult thing more, more than kind of like the technical aspect. To it. Mm -hmm. On the technical part, I mean, uh, we've been excited to bring on kind of like larger and larger models, which are still kind of like, uh, yeah, difficult to run, run in production. So we've been working a lot with the, with the cloud providers. We, we announced a strategic partnership with AWS not, not so long ago, but we're also working heavily with, with Google Cloud Azure and, and other cloud providers. But yeah, bringing, bringing this kind of like, uh, large language models in production, especially at scale, it requires a little bit of skills and require, require some, some work. You, you can, you can get there. Like I think Coin, Coinbase has, has a good, uh, article and a good blog post on how they kind of like, uh, use one of our, I think it was distilled birth from, from transformers on over a, a billion inferences an hour. I think if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Wow. but, but it's still a challenge and still requires a lot of like infrastructure work to it. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Vikas. Doing these interviews are a lot of fun. And the thing that I really want from these interviews is more people get to listen to them. And the easy way to get more people to listen to them is to give us a review that other people can see. So if you enjoyed this and you want to help us out a little bit, I would absolutely love it if you gave us a review. Thanks.